Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey, everybody. Before we start the show, wanted to throw a quick little shout out to, uh, to sailing vessel Sequoia. I know it's been a while since I checked in on them, but uh, yeah, August 7th, so a while ago, oops, uh, they he made it to Coffs Harbor, Australia. So all the way from his hopping off point around San Diego, made it to Hawaii, and then cut solo nonstop all the way down to Australia. And that's a heck of a feat. And I want to give him some some props on that one. So nice job, Rod. And yeah, he's just got the last little leg, pretty much a little, quote unquote, from Coffs Harbor. I think he's going to cruise the coast and then cross the Bass Strait down to Hobart, Tasmania. And then he'll be home. So well done on that, on that uh on that voyage, that's a serious crossing. That's that's the biggest crossing you can pretty much do as far as continent to continent uh, going across the whole of the Pacific. So well done, sir. And hopefully when he does make it to Tasmania, we'll, maybe I'll be able to get him on the horn and uh, have a good conversation and uh, maybe relay as much of that as possible or possibly break my uh, my own rule of doing uh doing podcasts over the phone but maybe i can figure out a way to keep that audio quality a a little bit high or just do sort of a special episode because i think you know a voyage of that magnitude definitely uh deserves uh a quick little little recap and i'd like to hear it from the horse's mouth and not uh not try and reinterpret it to everybody here but um I did get some more information uh, or another sailor that's out there, and I've got to get a little more info before I really shout it out. But uh, essentially, this guy is down in the Marquesas, and I think he's doing like around the world. I'm going to find out more about that because it is kind of cool to sort of keep tabs on these adventures that are happening as we speak out there in real time. And uh, I will hopefully be bringing that to you guys soon. But today, I got a really great email uh, from a guy named Brian, and it was basically a lot of questions about uh, being alone out at sea. And he essentially is looking to uh, start kind of getting out there and and doing trips and things like that and longer ocean passages. Uh, He is a sailor, so he knows sort of what it's like, but uh, he's never done the solo stuff. And I think his curiosity was piqued with how it is that uh, people can be alone for long amounts of time, uh, essentially, and not go crazy like some people do. Um, But yeah, so I'm going to answer that without trying to lose uh, my focus uh, or go off into the weeds too far and try and make some sense of it. It's a little bit hard because it's kind of an abstract idea, but I guess uh, if I were going to be uh, a little bit of an expert in anything, it would probably be solitude uh, on our oceans. So uh, I will get into that. But as I always say, oh, oh, and I do need to do one other shout out to another person named Brian uh, down there in South Carolina. Just got struck by lightning the other day and uh, has to get the boat hauled out again. It's my biggest fear. Holy smokes. 
Lightning is just, it's random, it's scary. Uh, I think the only positive thing that comes out of Lightning is it's uh, over pretty much the exact same time that it happens. And uh, But I always feel bad for any anybody, any sailor who their boat ends up being a, a lightning strike because it's pretty devastating as far as what it does to your electrical systems and uh, what it potentially can do to your boat. So... I feel for you, Bri, and uh, hopefully you get things fixed and the insurance claim and all that stuff is all easy peasy and you're you're good to go. But uh, so big shout out to him. And then, as I always say, if you want to support the show, head on over to Patreon. The link will be in the description. And if you want to email me and hear uh, some more random thoughts about uh, queries and questions, just uh, head over to sailingintooblivion.com and uh, I definitely read them all. So thanks for listening and here we go. Good morning everybody from a kind of a balmy morning up here in Maine. I'm wearing a sweater and it's been uh, a little bit on the chilly side at night. The old uh, air mattress that I'm sleeping on is kind of deflating. Uh, Not totally but uh, enough to form quite a cavity. So I wake up in a kind of an odd position, but uh, just hit the old inflate thing, and boom, it sort of raises me up, gets me out of bed, which is kind of nice. It's always a little hard to get out of bed when it's that cold. I don't know. It's something about it when it's hot. I think in the Caribbean, I never once had trouble getting up and getting out of bed just because the heat, and it was already sunny, and it was like, well, time to go. But uh, today, yeah, I sort of, I got kind of an interesting email, and it was sort of all about mind state, so to speak. Uh, The state of mind when you're out by yourself for a long time, uh, whether it be, I mean, this one, this email from Brian is mostly, mostly uh, having to do with being out at sea, but I've spent a lot of time alone when I'm out in the wilderness as well on the Appalachian Trail and I see plenty of sort of links between the two and the sort of the solitude really is the is the the center of the question but um yeah basically I figured why not I can talk about it cuz I'm alone right now <laughs> I might as well uh pontificate a little bit on it I suppose but maybe just to to back things up you know, before before my life sort of went into some of these solo adventures, I was working primarily uh, in resorts and water sports centers and with teams of 15, 16 people and lots of interaction, uh, not only with guests and students and just the general public, but also between myself and my staff, um, usually I was the person in charge, and I kind of took a, I took the tact of of trying to be sort of the cheerleader, I guess, um, rally the troops, so to speak. So even after a day spent working, trying to gather everybody together and drink a bunch of beers, have a lot of fun, um, you know, make a, a bit of an experience about it. And uh, so I don't know. I think for a lot of people, it was a little bit of a shock to to sort of see me transition from, I don't know, I guess gregarious and outgoing and uh, 
sort of team oriented to switching over to doing something like solo sailing. But I think most people sort of just were like, oh, yeah, well, that sounds like Jerome. But uh, I've always been a bit of an oddball, you could say. Uh, but the Appalachian Trail, I would say, was probably the first first time I spent a a pretty large amount of time alone. You know, once you reach about the halfway mark, the vast majority of hikers have dropped off of the map and dropped off of the trail. And by the time I got, I don't know, somewhere up in Virginia, maybe Harper's Ferry, like the halfway point, uh, I was pretty much hiking alone and continued to do so for like 70 days or something like that. Uh, it was, it was a pretty long haul where it was just me and camping alone at night. And, uh, which still, I, you know, it didn't unnerve me doing that, uh, at the time, I think just because I had spent so much time in the woods, but it did in, uh, a lot of respects, it did sort of, uh, when I look back on it, I'm sort of like, geez, I can't believe I was doing that. Like, I hear some noises out here and I'm only 500 feet away from a house. <laughs> and I'm sort of like, oh my gosh, what was that? But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where that bit of solitude started to open up my eyes to a bit of what I would call low-level input as a state of mind. And... The way, I guess the the best way to describe sort of what I mean by that is you, and I think I have talked about it before, but essentially in the normal day-to-day life with lots of interaction with lots of other people and, and being surrounded in sort of a normal society, whether it be like a big city or a small town or going to work every day or anything where you're actually being sort of inundated with the normal the normal amount of information and things like that. Well, once you get out and sort of away from that, at first, it's typically a little bit, it's not easy to sort of break away from that. And it's almost like in a way your your brain is sort of craving it and it sort of wants that. I don't know if it's the dopamine that comes with it or whatever chemicals are being released in your brain. But in any event, after... After a little bit of time passes, you know, usually for me, it's like five days or so. And, uh, and then you essentially, you're, you start to take notice of much, much smaller things that you probably just would have passed right by. Um, you know, in the woods, it'd be, I don't know, just looking at the trees more or staring at the clouds or sort of being able to sort of sit still for long enough where, you know, little chipmunks or animals start to sort of come out of the woods and then you start seeing movement. And one of the things that happens, especially in the woods, is that you you find that your ability to sit still and sort of, I want to say, even clear your mind, uh, spending decent chunks of time without really thinking about much, which I guess would sort of be like a meditative state. I don't know. I haven't really ever practiced meditation. Um, but yeah, so you're sort of, it's it's hard to describe this, I guess, but you're sort of just 
being there and you're sort of in that moment in time in the world but without the distractions of sort of modern modern life that we're all so used to at this point and i don't know if you went back a couple hundred years i don't know if people just uh were always sort of a bit more in the moment um compared to these days but that's sort of what I found, and that's what I began to find when I was on the Appalachian Trail. And yes, there are definitely times where it's really boring, and you're sort of like looking for any sort of stimulus uh, that you can get your hands on. And and I think one of the neat parts, uh, especially on the trail, was that if you stumbled across like a book or something that somebody left in a shelter, it became this awesome thing that now you have and you can dive into and anytime you're you're looking for a little input boom you've got this thing and you can just read it and read it and read it and uh, sort of taught me a little bit more about self-sacrifice as far as not sort of having all the things that you want all at once all the time and the availability is not there and it's sort of it's strange because it just made it made all these little things so much more valuable and probably in reality just made their their made me value them as much as they actually are a value if that makes sense um so your mind i don't want to get too far off in the weeds your mind is is definitely um when you're alone and you're away from sort of modern society, it, it does. I, I find that it definitely slows down, but it also kind of becomes a little bit hyper-focused on your surroundings and cut to going out sailing. Now, this obviously is is the most extreme example of it. I mean, I suppose... I suppose being incarcerated in solitary confinement is one thing um, that would probably be even more extreme just because you're stuck in the same room and you don't have a view and the weather's not changing and stuff like that. But regardless, when you when I head offshore, it doesn't take quite as long as five days, but it still does take a little bit of time uh, for my brain to really really transform and now it's something that i expect to happen and i can i can sort of note the symptoms and all that sort of stuff and you know one one very relatable symptom you know once you get like 15 miles offshore your your cell phone service drops off and typically i'm sending text messages or calling people up until that point, um, just because I know it's going to be the last time for a while and just trying to, you know, do the, the old due diligence and essentially, um, you know, you, you put the cell phone away, turn it off and you leave it there. And to, uh, for the first day or two, you know, there is this like ingrained sort of thing, like, Oh, I want to, where's myself? I want to check it. And, but you, the, there's nothing to check it for. I mean, it doesn't have any service. The only thing I'm ever using my phone for is either taking little video clips or listening to music. And, uh, so that, that, I don't know that, that need for it sort of dissipates. And that's typically sort of step one 
because you're no longer distracted by that. And I do think that that's probably one of the the biggest distractions uh, for everyday life um, that's that happens these days. And it happens to me like crazy when I'm on land. I mean, I'm I'm always sort of check in to see what's going on, what's uh, that video do anything, da 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 da, all that sort of stuff. Um, God, it was really bad when I was doing all the TikTok stuff. Uh, although, since I only do that for you know, the clips after I go on an adventure, it's not so bad because typically get back from something and then offload all that stuff onto there for about a week or two. And then that's pretty much it. But back to the brain, you essentially, um, after a few days, just slow again, slow way, way down. You definitely become very, very aware of what the boat is doing because that sort of turns into the focal point of your life because it is essentially your your life-saving apparatus. Um, it's also your, your ability to move and progress towards wherever the heck you're going. Um, so that that is sort of a, a different thing because on the Appalachian Trail... The only thing that's that's your focus, I guess, could be your backpack or, more importantly, your food bag and uh, maybe your shoes or something like that. But those are all such simple little things. Uh, when you've got a boat, then you actually have a bit of a problem on your hand as far as different systems and things that can go wrong, um, different checks and things that you have to do to make sure you're maintaining the vessel's ability to keep going and, and not sink, heaven forbid. Uh, but as far as the solo aspect and being alone and sort of dealing with it, I typically don't find any of the any of the pitfalls that I think most people assume would come out. Um, you know, loneliness and fear. As far as the loneliness goes, it really is one of those things where. Yeah, you definitely feel it every once in a while, but in the end, I, I've i always felt like because I know that I'm headed back to land eventually, because you can't stay out there forever, uh, you will sort of get that dose and get the uh, get back to sort of that normal, that normal uh, community sort of state. And so I think I'm able to just forego a lot of the loneliness sort of just just knowing that knowing that there is an end point and it's not a forever sort of thing and that that keeps my mind pretty level um as far as the fear comes into play you know it's like oh you're alone and a big storm comes and all that sort of stuff the fear thing is kind of interesting i think because i think a lot of fear in today's society is based upon what other people might perceive of how you handle a situation or or how people react to something that you've done or something like that and when you're out solo sailing there really isn't that factor at all because it's just you and i i can remember plenty of incidences where i really screwed up with like a spinnaker or something like that or you know, I, I just do something pretty dumb out there. And the first thought in my head typically is like, boy, I'm so glad I'm out here alone. Like nobody will ever know that I did that. <laughs> and 
And it's actually a pretty freeing sort of mental state to be in. Because it's just you, there really is no longer, uh, there's no longer the consequence that comes along with other people's um, judgment or anything like that. And it, it truly is a pretty freeing thing. I mean, I... I know of of plenty of people that um, have told me that that when they post things on social media, there's a bit of fear in them. And I know personally when I put out the book and finally published it, there was a bit of fear um, because I was afraid that there was going to be a, a pretty ugly reaction to it and uh, I was going to have to feel the consequences. And when you're out there by yourself, the only consequence you could ever have, uh, I mean besides sinking or something like that, if you really screw up, would be that you sort of get down on yourself. But again, this is that's like an internal thing, and you're in control of that situation. And if you choose to be mad at yourself, you can. But if you choose to just slough it off, which is commonly what I do, then, uh, then that's okay as well. Um, it really... So the, the fear factor... Now, granted, it is pretty scary to be in some really bad weather. For instance, um, when lightning storms come about, that's always pretty scary. But I don't ever wish that anybody else would be on board with me. Um, quite the opposite. I'm, I'm usually pretty glad because that way I'm not, I'm not really responsible for, for anybody else's livelihood because I find myself in that scary situation. Uh, but also... The, uh, uh, what am I trying to say here? It's the only, the only times I'm really, uh, the only times fear I think really comes into play is if a situation warrants, if it gets to a, a point where it's, it's like you really need to be in more than one place at a certain time, uh, case in point, if, if I'm out there and I'm needing desperately to hook a smaller sail up forward on the boat and at the same time sort of having to hold a really, really precise position as far as steering the boat. And so I'm just trusting Mongo, the, the wind vane on the back to do a decent enough job for long enough for me to do this. Whereas it will be a heck of a lot more convenient, safer, and everything if I had a second person on that boat who would be able to do just what I needed them to do so that I could take care of that. There there definitely is a little bit of that that fear that comes out of that that situation possibly coming about. But typically you sort of find your own way and your own sort of solutions to to not ending up in those sort of situations and so i you know i i don't think that that fear is really a big part of uh anything that i feel when when i'm out and i'm on my own whether it's sailing or if it's out in the woods now i will say <laughs> i will say with the woods thing uh it really depends on the situation. There's there's really not a whole lot that's uh, spookier, at least to me, than when you're lying in a tent and you're alone for miles and miles around and you're in sort of an area that's not 
familiar to you, like the Appalachian Mountains uh, in New Hampshire and Vermont and Maine and all that sort of stuff. And it's nighttime and noises start happening and your brain just starts flipping out, essentially, turning what probably the sound of like a skunk walking by, turning that into, you know, a an elephant or a hippopotamus or something like that. So there is, there is, um, there is definitely a bit of fear when it comes to being alone, I think in the woods at night and, and, you know, there's mystery noises going on. That is definitely a time where I wholeheartedly hundred percent always wish that there was another person around just to be able to sort of share that, uh, that situation and, I I know that sounds a bit um, uh, going against things as far as what I feel like when I get into a scary situation on a boat, but uh, I don't know. On land, it's different. Uh, maybe it's just a trigger in my in my psyche, but um, yeah, that one's that one's pretty spooky uh, for me. So there is, you know, there are some little dimensions of fear uh, that I guess do, do crop up, but I think those are more personal uh, for, for my life rather than just something that I could speak on as, as sort of a mental state. But yeah, essentially uh, those are some of the, I don't know, just, just sort of some of the, the, the feelings and the thoughts and the process that, that I typically go through and, and especially on the long, long voyages, you know, more than like two months when you're out there, there is always going to be a point that you reach. And for me, it's typically after maybe three weeks or so where you really kind of get into a day-to-day scheduled routine. And I think that for the long distance uh, stretches, that is really a key to being sort of successful as far as keeping your state of mind in a happy place and a controlled place and not sort of losing it. And essentially what I mean by a schedule is, you know, on the boat, it's it's pretty easy because you you pretty much wake up and you have your morning checks where you're going over everything on the boat and then fixing whatever seems to be starting to chafe or needs a little bit of attention. That takes some time. And then you have breakfast and that takes some time, a little coffee. Um, You might sit down and read or have... I've never gotten so far into it where I sort of try and schedule things like listening to a podcast or an audiobook, um, like sort of slotting that in as as it's almost like a work day trying to regulate everything. I'm I have a set of things that I like to do every single day, but there's typically quite a bit of free time uh, for me to choose whatever I want, whether it's a book or if it's listening to music or if it's just sitting and enjoying, you know, looking at the ocean for hours at a time, because I've, I've definitely do that. And it's, it's one of those things, the weather 
becomes a uh, a pretty important part of that as far as what you can and can't do enjoyably because a lot of times out there it really is some days it's great to sit on deck in the cockpit and kick back and relax and sometimes you would much rather just be downing your bunk dry and uh, listening to the wind raging around you and I don't know um, that's that's sort of that that sort of stuff I I don't want to schedule my day too much because I like it to always sort of change a bit but there are those those things and they they carry out throughout the day you know having the logbook and everything and the journal entries those typically you know those will be do, those will be done like four times a day and at least the logbook and if you're using a sextant you got that to sort of work out and then you have dinner and then you have the sundowner cocktail hour time and then you've got the stars or watching for squalls and throughout this whole mix you know you've got other little things that are, you know the wind changes so the sails change so there there are these things the the idea that you would go out there and spend day after day after day not really having to do anything with the boat that's just that's false like that's the boat becomes your number one job and it will I think no matter what type of boat it really is, it will keep you busy. I mean, the longest stretch I've ever had, and I've spent, I think, somewhere around like 500 days or so uh, out at sea by myself. And I think the longest stretch I ever went without having to do anything besides check sort of the, do my morning check on the boat, like no sail changes or anything like that, or messing with Mongo, was... The the whole thing was 12 days where I only did two sail changes, but I think for about seven of those days in a row, I didn't touch a line. I didn't touch Mongo, the tiller, any of that sort of stuff. And the boat was in that, in that purest sense of the word, uh, on its own and doing its thing. And it was in the groove in what we refer to as set it and forget it sailing, where it's good. The wind stays exactly the same. The waves are the same and you go, go, go. And to be honest, that was probably one of the more boring times that I've ever uh, had a stretch of out at sea. Mostly again, because there wasn't a whole lot to break up the monotony of it. And I, I read a lot and I tried to sleep a lot, just catch up on it. This was you know, 220 days, 230 days into the voyage around the world. And it was essentially that little chunk of, of Northeast trades from the Northern edge of the doldrums above Brazil, almost all the way to the Caribbean. And I mean, just phenomenal, phenomenal sailing. The mileage was great, but the mental state, because it was kind of boring at that point, it, um, it did present sort of this mental challenge because you get bored and then you get sort of not anxious, but, um, you get antsy where you're sort of, you're wanting for something to happen or something to do. And you've read all the books or you've, you've listened to all the music so many times. And, and that, that's something where you sort of have to, I like to try and plan for it now by mostly just bringing more books and and having more things that I can delve into and also trying to find little projects and things like that. But 
that really is a, a big thing to occupy the mind to keep that mental state uh, going and keep it again, just sort of at that happy medium. I mean, I, I've always, always thought of, and this is part of the question as well, because they they had mentioned uh, the emotional roller coaster, and I I don't exactly know why, and I well I shouldn't say that I typically my emotional roller coaster out on the ocean goes up and down with the weather because the weather really is dictating your comfort level out out at sea and or at least mine and. I don't know if it's just because Mighty Sparrows of West Hill 32 and the way they sail and the way they react uh, to the waves and the motion sometimes, um, you know, case in point, when you have a pretty big wind shift after some fairly decent wind and the waves are built up and now you are pretty much powering along and you're going straight into a pretty steep little head chop. And so essentially the, the winds have shifted. Now you're, you're moving fast, but you're hitting these, these old waves that are left over from when the wind was coming the other direction. And there's sort of this jolting feel on, on Sparrow that happens because it's got such a rounded bow instead of a a tight sort of, uh, skinny bow that can sort of pierce that stuff. And I, you know, that typically goes under the guise of sea kindliness as far as how she sails. And I would, you know, I would rather have the rounded bow because I know when I'm surfing pretty, pretty big waves and all that sort of stuff, it's kind of a comfort level knowing that when the bow hits the trough of a wave, it wants to pop immediately up and it won't pierce right through it and threaten like a pitch pole or anything. But at the same time, uh, when you're getting jolted every six seconds and the boat's really struggling to try and get even to its hull speed because it's getting sort of paused by these liquid speed bumps so often that that definitely starts to twist my brain right up and it gets me like angry and I do anger is one of those things that uh, that's one of those emotions that I go through uh out there where it's, I don't know, I I, I want to say that it's useless uh, because you're just wasting your breath if you're out there screaming at the world around you. But at the same time, I've always felt a little bit better after I do that, even though I'm just yelling at the ocean. I don't even really, I'm not even really yelling at the ocean. I'm typically yelling at the wind, um, but it's... <laughs> I'm thinking of there's man there was this one time wow man it was right after passing underneath New Zealand and there was cyclone cyclone Guido was coming down Uh, I was still days away but um, I was really trying to get as far east as I could just to sort of get away from that area and it was foggy and I went to open up the computer and check the the forecast because I was sure that it said we were going to have, you know, a good 20 knots of wind and the winds were super light. Swell was still there. And again, it was all foggy and the fog was moving, but there wasn't really any wind. And I remember the sails were sort of slatting and I was very, very frustrated. 
and I ended up going down and opened up the computer. And I, I, for some reason, I even had an inkling that I, I just sort of felt like the computer was, was on its last legs. Um, and not so much because I had been opening it up, turning it on, turning it off, you know, for the last six months or whatever. Um, just, I don't know, had a feeling and lo and behold, yeah, I turn it on and the computer won't work anymore. It does the whole blue screen, like completely fried and, uh, was never able to actually recover that. But I remember going up on deck and just losing it. I mean, screaming and yelling, I uh, ended up, you know, breaking down in tears and just, I was like emotionally beaten. And I think it was the, the accumulation of, you know, the possibility of a cyclone coming down. Uh, and I just entered the Pacific. I've been alone now for, you know, six months or whatever. And, uh, well, I guess there were a lot of other things. The water was running out and are always on the very empty side of things. Uh, the food was getting a bit light. So there were a lot of pressures going on and I had sort of reached this, this tipping point with the computer because the computer is really the lifeline as far as the weather is concerned. I mean, you're going to get the most accurate forecast from a barometer at the time, but it's nice to see the big picture sort of zoomed out as to, you know, what systems are around you. And now all of a sudden I'm in a state of, I'm no longer have that anymore either. And yeah, it it was essentially just a, an apex, uh, of frustration and just emotions that I didn't want to be having. And after a good release of uh, all those emotions to the world around me, uh, I definitely felt a lot better. I didn't, I didn't want to hold it all in and, and keep it all tucked away and just stoically press on, you know, with sort of a frown on my face and, and eyes gazing a thousand miles ahead. I, uh, I chose the latter of sort of self-therapeutic uh, venting off into the off into the world around me. And I think I've always found that that, that really does and can help uh, by just sort of letting your emotions go, just letting it go. I mean, think of like a, a baby, I guess, just crying it out. Once they get it all out, then they're usually okay after that. Or, you know, somebody goes through traumatic experience. They finally uh, open up, talk about their feelings, have a good cry, and then whew, all of a sudden they're always saying, wow, I feel a whole lot better because you're just releasing all that. And so I think that's a pretty relatable experience uh, between being alone on the ocean for months at a time and just being in normal everyday life. Um, so I don't know. That's... Uh, that's sort of one of the, the tips I guess I, I could give about that. And, um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's an interesting thing, I think, um, sort of to, to wrap up, uh, all this, this talk about being alone. <laughs> it's kind of a lonely episode, isn't it? Jeez. Holy smokes. I can't wait to uh, get my next guest on here. Um, but I think to, to, to wrap up, this whole thing is just the simple question of, yes, I, I do enjoy my time alone out there. And I think mostly it is because 
being alone like that for long periods of time surrounded by just nature, it allows your brain to sort of revert back to a time long ago where you were actually just dealing with everything that's around you at the moment. You're not really all that worried about tomorrow. You're definitely, or, well, it does take a little time to sort of uh, not turn back to the past every time your mind gets idle. And that's something that I, I sort of, I've exercised that out of my brain. Uh, when I was on the Appalachian Trail, I had so much time to just sit, or not sit, walk and think, walk and think. 10, 12 hours every day, walk and think. And in those times, I was able to go through and examine everything I probably could ever remember about my life. And, you know, to the to the methodical thinking of, okay, well, what uh, type of skateboard deck did I have? And then list all of those out. And then obviously, you know, you list out like girlfriends or uh, places you've lived or vacations you've been on, things like that, you know, sort of the happy thoughts. And, um, but when I got out onto the ocean and, and that was a typical thing that I can remember doing on yacht deliveries when would go and, uh, I'd be on watch by myself and you're just trying to get through the three hours so you can get back to sleep. Um, but when I went on the big trip, that was definitely different. I made um, a very conscious effort to not delve into my past. I didn't. I didn't want to waste my time with it. I'd already done it before, uh, but I think more than that, I knew that this was going to be sort of a pinnacle sort of adventure for me, and I didn't want to miss out on a moment of it by thinking about things that have already happened and have already gone over. And, um, you know, it, it took exercise as far as, uh, mental exercise to do that, where, you know, these ideas, these thoughts, these images, they, these memories, they pop up in your head and you have to physically sort of, well, not physically, but you have to mentally push them out and be, you know, tame your brain, so to speak. You got to crack the whip a little bit. And, like anything in this world, if you practice it, you will actually uh, become proficient in it. And suddenly it no longer is an issue. It becomes second nature. You just don't think about stuff like that anymore. And uh, so I, I think I got lost in the weeds there a little bit, but uh, trying to sort of wrap this whole thing up a little. Essentially, I enjoy I enjoy being out there. And again, it's probably the time in my life where I am most in the moment. And that's probably one of the most enjoyable parts for me about being alone out at sea um, is just that you're, you're, you're just, I feel part of not only the ocean that I'm on, the boat that I'm on, the weather system that I'm in, it just keeps expanding out and out and out further and further to the point where what phase of the moon am I in and 
what planets are in retrograde and trying to wrap my head around, you know, how, which way is up on the galactic plane here. Um, and it, as, as strange as that might sound, give yourself enough hours every single night staring up at our, our beautiful stars on an unbroken uh, skyline and you will you will start considering things like which way would north be in our galaxy if I'm seeing that part of the Milky Way then I guess that's north and you almost can feel an imaginary gravitational pull uh, <laughs> from uh, the galaxy itself so I don't know it's it, it I think at its apex being alone for a long long time out at sea can bring you to a a much higher plane of thinking and um, being part of the world and I guess the the universe around you. You know, not trying to sound like I'm on heavy drugs or anything like right now, but it is. I mean, it's reminiscent of the way that uh, Bernard Montissier would would talk about it. You know, his chapters on as he's heading towards Cape Horn uh, have often been described as uh, very similar to someone who's on like an acid trip. And it's, it's, it's something that happens out there as far as your mental state. It's, I would, I could definitely uh, describe being alone at sea for months and months and months, like a, sort of mind-expanding or mind-altering situation and definitely in a, a good light, in a better way, because it's it's an experience to be had and not something, I think, to be feared. And, um, yeah, I think that's my take on on solitude at sea for extended periods of time. Wow, say that five times fast. <laughs> Oh man. So anyway, I hope that answers all the questions. Uh, it was every once in a while I will get an email that, uh, you know, is pretty in depth and pretty lengthy and I do appreciate them. I definitely read them all. And, uh, I don't know this one, uh, for whatever reason today was a very, uh, welcome surprise and it gave me, uh, a lot to sort of think about. And I figured, you know what, I'm going to transition that right onto another show. So thanks for listening and until next time.